We're actually going to be studying together two psalms today, Psalm 127 and Psalm 128. And if you want a title for this morning's message, I've called it A Word to Mothers. A Word to Mothers. Now, it won't have escaped anybody's attention that today is Mother's Day. And so I uh, did what I always do when you get to days like this. You go on Wikipedia and find out where did Mother's Day actually come from? How did this originate? What is this really about? And so a recent history of Mother's Day, for those of you that are interested, it actually dates back to Britain when Britain was really great in the 1600s. It was birthed uh, there in that period of time. It was celebrated annually on the fourth Sunday of Lent which is a different day to where we celebrate it here. Uh, but a whole Sunday would be given over to, to honouring mothers. At that point in time, everybody would go to church, because if you didn't, you got killed. So everybody would go to church, and then you would spend the afternoon then honouring and giving thanks for your mums. And you were encouraged to buy them flowers and gifts. In particular, you were encouraged to buy them or make for them a special fruitcake or fruit-filled pastry called a simnel. And so the way it worked is at the end of the time, at the end of that period of time, what would take place is you would, you'd honor your mum, you'd thank your mum, and then you'd give them these different gifts. So yeah, so it started in the 1600s, and then the whole point is you honored your mum, you thanked your mum, and you gave them these different gifts. And for years, that's what happened. And for years, because Britain was Great Britain and went to so many different countries, it started to be celebrated in 46 different countries. So now around the world, Mother's Day is celebrated. However, in the early 1900s, it really died a death as a custom because of the world wars. All the men were at war. So in World War One and World War Two, all the men go to war and it's difficult for mums to just honour themselves. And so it really started to die out until after the Second World War, the Americans took it on. They added a bit of razzmatazz to it. They did the business with it. And now it became really what you see as the phenomena today, which is Mother's Day. Here's what I found out last year in America alone. 150 million cards were sold for Mother's Day. That's a lot of profit. 128 million phone calls were made in the afternoon. Please, I don't recommend to anybody here, don't text your mum, Happy Mother's Day. That isn't going to cut it. You call her or you go see her. And this is what they do in America. And in Mother's Day last year in America, it was the biggest flower selling day of the entire year. And that surprised me because I would have thought like Valentine's Day would be the big one. But when you stop and think about it, you realise, oh, no, no. well, here's the thing. Girlfriends can dump you. Mums can't dump you. So that everybody's got a mum, not everybody's got a girlfriend. So you all get flowers for your mothers on Mother's Day. That's exactly what they do in the United States of America. And yet honouring mums has always been the heart of Mother's Day. For the British, for way before that, if you study the Greeks and the Romans, they did a Mother's Day of sorts. And then for the Americans, the heart of everything has always been to give thanks for and honour mothers. But listen, I want to use today, Mother's Day, as an excuse to indeed honour our mothers here. And here's why. It's way before the Americans or the British ever thought of the idea of having Mother's Day, God ordained that we are to honour our mothers. Out of the Ten Commandments that he gave Moses, here's number five. He says, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Way before it was anybody's idea as a custom, God instructed us to honor our fathers and to honor our mothers. And so today I want to honor all the mothers here by speaking to you rather than speaking about you and then encouraging everybody to give thanks for you. I want to really want to address you as mothers 
That was the best way I could think of, of honoring you today. And in addressing you on motherhood, I, I feel deeply burdened with this topic. This is a holy and a high calling. And it is a hard calling. And so if you are a mother, you will know that this is a difficult one. And so if you are a mum, then this message is for you. If you're not a mum, which is many of us here too, well, we need to listen in too, right? Because we're family. And where God honours mothers, where we're not mothers, we want to come alongside those mothers to encourage them and care for them and pray for them and the role that God's assigned for them and called them to. And so everybody in this room needs to understand the calling, the high and holy calling that is on all the mums in this room. And so let's read together Psalm 127 and 128. These are joined in content and in purpose. So let's read it. It says, A Song of Ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, The watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, Thus shall a man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Let's pray. Well, Lord, I do thank you for your word. And I thank you that your word is so thorough. There are no areas of our lives of importance where we are left guessing as to what we're meant to do. You address us. You address us as a congregation and you address us as individuals. And so, Lord, I pray for all the mums in the room. Then, Lord, would you address them today as individuals? And as we all listen in, would they know then of our honour to them? Lord, what a high and holy calling this is. So thank you, Lord, for pausing us and ministering to these ladies. In Jesus' name, amen. It doesn't take long when you study these two psalms together to realize that there is a lot of common ground between both of them. You will notice that both start with the phrase, a song of ascents. These are both songs that would have been sung by pilgrims as they really went up Mount Zion to worship God there. On the way to Mount Zion, they would sing these types of songs to remind them of truths that God wanted to burn into their hearts. 
Both of these psalms are considered to be of the wisdom genre. And so they're not promises, but they are wisdom literature. They're ways of doing things, ways of life, ways of life that will, by God's grace, bring blessing for us, ways of right living before God. And both address the means to knowing the blessing of God and the raising of our children. That's the topic of, of both. That's why they've been put together in this way. In Jewish practice, Psalm 127 would be read post a lady giving birth. So after a lady has given birth and after all is cleaned up and all is well, this psalm would be read out to her and the whole family to celebrate what had taken place. Such is the significance of what she had now signed up for in motherhood by giving birth. And so these psalms are very joined in so many different ways. And so the way I want to proceed this morning is by dividing this study of the two psalms into three headings. Three headings that are really three questions. Three questions that I think it's important for every single mother in the room to be asking, given the holy and high calling that is on your lives as mothers. So here's the first question. First of three. Number one, mothers... Do you think that you can do this? Do you think you can make it? Do you think you're capable of the job and the assignment that God has given you? Do you think that you can actually manage it, this thing called motherhood? Now that might seem like a really strange question to be asked. Particularly first off, you think, where's he getting that from? Where are we going with this? For some, it may be even a bit depressing or a bit disappointing because you think, man, this is such a hard topic to be discussing. And yet I think it's an important question to ask because I think in all reality, so many mums do feel that I just can't do this. There's just no way. I'm not going to make it. It's too hard. A guy called Milton Burrell says, if evolution really works, then how come mothers only have two hands? I like that one. And I thought, you know, that is so common and such something that, that ladies can feel. You know, if this is real, then how come I only have two hands? There's so many things that I've been given by God to do and assigned by God to do. I'm sure that I'm not alone as a husband in this. I'm sure every husband has faced this. But I think all husbands know that ladies go through seasons where they feel like they can't do this anymore. And all husbands know this because their wives tell them at different times. I'm sure I'm not the only one that has been on the end of a tearful wife at different points, letting you know that I just can't do this. It's too hard. There's so many things to do as a mom. I, the calling on my life to do this, to train up these children the way they should go, I just can't make it. Husbands, we usually know when this moment is coming, because this conversation is usually preceded by the words, I need to talk to you about your son. When did it become my son? Why is it not our son? And you know that in this moment, when, when your wife says, I need to talk to you about your children, that we need to be listening up because something monumental is about to occur. And what it's probably going to result in is a wife that doesn't feel like she can make it. It's a common thing. And having been a pastor now for a long time, I've realized more and more, every mum struggles with this at some point. It's a common way of thinking. And yet our response, I think, so often can be maybe a little unhelpful. I think the responses of husbands, certainly myself, and the responses of friends and families, although well-meaning to this issue of I don't think I can cope, is sometimes not really that good. 
See, the common knee-jerk reaction when your wife comes to you or a friend comes to you and says, you know, I just can't do this. Here's what I think most of us would do in that moment. We'd say, you can. Of course you can. Look at you. You're smart. You're clever. You're godly. You're energetic. Look at the way you serve. Look at the way God has made you. You can so easily do this. You're the best mom I've ever come across in my entire life. Check it out. You can do this. You ever responded like that? I think husbands, we tend to do it with fresh vigor because we look past our wife to our little children. We think, if you can't do it, then I definitely can't do it. So you can do it. You can, oh yes. And you guard the door as she heads towards the door because you just want her to understand, you've got to do this. And so we just reassure them. We build into them self-confidence and reliance upon self that you can do this. I know you can. Pull yourself together, dear. You are good. Well, God doesn't respond like that. As you look at this first verse in Psalm 127, you realize God's response is so different to our common response. God does not spend time fanning into flame a parent's or a mum's self-confidence. In fact, in this verse, he seeks to undermine it and point instead her attention to him. Listen again, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. See, the psalmist is very deliberately putting together two things that are of monumental significance. Two scenarios that really correspond to two significant endeavors. The building of a house which in, 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 as a Jew in that season would be a massive deal to build a house and to get the materials together to do that. And secondarily, the watching over a city. That would be a huge deal. To stand watch and guard over the nation would be a huge issue in that culture. Both endeavors would require great squill. They would require great effort. And both endeavors were of major importance and significance. But here's the point. Neither endeavor are possible without God's involvement and help. So you try and build a house. Great. But unless God helps you, you labor in vain. You try and guard a family. You try and guard a city. Watch over a city. Yeah, great. But unless God helps you in that, you watch in vain. You're staying awake late, getting up early. But there's no need. It's incomplete and not in vain. And the point of the psalm, given the context, as you go to verse 3 and onwards to do with children, the point is, it's the same for mothers too. You have been given a great task. But unless God is involved with you, helping you, you labor and you watch in vain. I mean, let's just think about motherhood for a moment. I mean, talk about a significant and high calling on an individual's life. It is an incredibly high and challenging and significant calling on someone's life. And I think we can lose sight of that, eh? You can lose sight of how important it is in the malaise of life and there's the busyness of life and all the pressures that come with that. You can lose sight of just what an incredible calling it is. You see, there is really no individual that is having a more significant and influential effect on a child, particularly in the early years, than their mum. 
the mum has been given the privilege of having the most time with that child. And so usually as the father goes out to work, the mum, mum remains to care for that child. There is so much time given, probably more than anybody else, to that child. And that mum then is the key influencer in that child's life. And they are called by God to influence that child in incredible things. Mothers are called by God to train their children in the way they should go. To help their child understand a worldview, the way the world works. To influence their child and help their child see who God is in his majesty and awe and in his splendor. And a mother is called to explain to their child, even from a young age, the gospel. The truth of who God is. The truth of why Jesus has come. The truth of who they are as children. Mothers then have a huge influence on that child's life to show that child through word and example what it really means to serve and know and follow the living God. And so it would be no exaggeration to say that mothers then really are shaping and molding our future. Mothers are shaping and molding the next generation of leaders. Mothers are shaping and molding the next generation of husbands and wives, husbands that we want to see grow and lay their lives down for their wives. And wives as ladies who are humble and honest and open and desirous to support and help and follow their husbands. Mothers are modeling by word and example to their children what godly parenting really is. Mothers really are shaping and influencing the next generation, children who will be influencing hundreds of people to come after them long, long past the mother's influence on them. Mothers have an incredible calling on their lives. It's an incredible one, isn't it? But here's the thing, mothers... Unless the Lord builds your family, you labor in vain. And mothers, unless the Lord watches over your children, then you watch in vain. You cannot do it by yourself. You you weren't designed to. You weren't made to. And when we see that correctly, I think when we biblically understand that premise, when you as mothers can rest in that, it should, I think, bring great liberation. It really should. This should not be a discouraging moment for you. (laughs) Seen biblically, this should be an incredibly encouraging moment for you. As you realize you cannot do it by yourself. You need God. You need Him. There's a Jewish proverb I came across recently. It says this, it says, God could not be everywhere at once, so he created mothers. And you may have seen it, it's usually stuck on somebody's fridge, or it's something like a little bit of embroidery somewhere put on a wall, and you just see that, and you think, oh, that's really good, yes, that's, that's really helpful, isn't it? God could not be everywhere at once, so he created mothers. And you see it, and to start off with, you think, isn't that encouraging? Motherhood is so important. That's how quality it is, it is so important. That God created mothers because he couldn't be everywhere. Isn't that encouraging? But when you stop and think about it, you think, that is an awful proverb. That is absolutely horrendous. Because is it as if God is saying, well, you know what? I'm pretty busy right now in the Middle East. There's a lot going on. But don't worry, mothers. You take your family. You do it. You be God to them. You watch over them. You build over them. And Oh, listen. Don't just take your family. Take your neighborhood. Take Hornsby for Jesus. You care for them because I am over here in the Middle East and you just watch over them. That's awful. So we're not going to have that on our fridge anymore. 
It's just an awful saying. And yet, I think in all reality, so many mothers live as if that's true. They live as if, yes, I am God to my children. It does rely on me. I have got to build this house. I have got to watch over them. It's all me. God might help, maybe, but he's assigned the task to me. I am his hands and feet. Well, ladies, that is just not the case. That is not the way it was ever meant to be. And when we believe that bad theology, here's the bad fruit. Verse 2. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. Bad theology, bad fruit. Motherhood will be full of anxiety for you if you think it is all about you. But here's what I want for you. I I want good theology to be good fruit. Second part of verse 2. For he gives to his beloved sleep. I want to see the ladies of Sovereign Race Church having good sleeps. You know what I'm saying? And the point of that is that a lady that understands it's not all about me. And so I labor, but I labor understanding that unless God builds his house, unless he builds my family, I can't do this. And I labor to watch over my family and care for my family, but I understand that when I sleep, there is one far greater than me watching over my family. And so I watch and I rest knowing that he is in control. Listen, God wants you to work hard as mothers, okay? That's a very true point. This is not an excuse for laziness, alright? This is not, I don't want any ladies in the morning staying in bed for extra time, sending the kids downstairs and saying, listen, don't worry about it. God watches over you. He feeds the sparrows of the field. He will feed you. And your daughter comes and says, oh, you know, any chance of any clothes? Oh, my love. God wraps the lilies of the field. I'm sure He will provide something for you. So mummy's resting. Okay, that's not the point of this text. The point is not laziness. No, you must labor. But the point of this text is he wants you to labor realizing that you can find rest in the truth that it's not ultimately about your work. It's about his grace. Your family needs you. But it ultimately requires God more than you. And so, unless the Lord builds the house... Those who build it labor in vain. And unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So ladies, do you think you can do it? The right answer is no. No, I can't. But I believe God is faithful. And he will help me. He will watch when I stop watching. And he will build when I cannot build. God will work in you. He will work through you. And if your motherhood is anything like my fatherhood, you will discover he will work more often than not despite you. Some of my greatest errors have been some of the moments when I've most clearly seen God's grace in my kids. How does that work? I don't know. I'll tell you why it works. It works because God is faithful. And ultimately he builds his house. And he watches over. Question two then. Do you see your kids accurately? How do you see your kids? Do you think about them accurately? Do you see them for who they really are? Do you see them in a way that God sees them? Listen to verses 3 through 5 of Psalm 127. He says, Behold, 
Children are a heritage. Heritage there literally means inheritance. Something that God has set aside for you as a good gift. So behold, children are are an inheritance. An inheritance from the Lord. The fruit of the womb are reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in his gate. You know, what comes so clearly from these verses is what children are as biblically defined. Children are, as biblically defined, a gift from God. They are precious. They are an invaluable resource, a source of strength. They're a reward, a blessing, an inheritance. They are all the things that we are learning of the way God defines what a child is. So, how do you see your children? How do you view them? Do you see them as God sees them? See, I have no doubt at all, because I know most of the mothers in this room, I I have no doubt at all that you have a great affection for your children, you have great love for them, and you desire to care for them. I have no, no qualms over that. I can see that so evidently, and that is why I'm thrilled to be in this local church with my wife standing among you ladies, so that she can learn from you, so that she can help you. Because I think you do a great job of being mums. And yet I'm also aware that you are vulnerable and you are susceptible to the worldview about children. The world's lies about children and thus the world's lies about motherhood. You are all susceptible to that and I want you to realize that because we live in a world. And we live in a world that does not define children in the way God defines children. And I was thinking about it this week, and there was a couple of things in particular that I thought, we, we need to realize this. We need to be aware of this as parents, and for mothers, we need to be aware how the, how the world is so readily defining children. See, the first thing, the first wrong worldview, I think, that is out there is that children are disposable. That they can be removed. It is an awful worldview. And yet in all reality, that's taken as commonplace in our world. Just this week I was hearing from a friend about a lady in America in one of the Sovereign Grace churches there who works in a crisis pregnancy centre. And she was just walking through some things really of, of grief and what she was going through because a young lady had come into the crisis pregnancy centre a pregnancy centre that was being run by Christians that was really designed to help particularly young mums with unwanted pregnancies and to get help, to receive funding, to receive help, to have their children adopted out if needed be, but to do all they could to stop young mums aborting their children. And so this young lady had come in <clears throat> and she had an ultrasound and, and it was discovered that she had not only had one unwanted pregnancy, but she was actually pregnant with three identical triplets. And so this lady from the Sovereign Grace Church was reaching out to her and and it became clear over time that this lady wanted to abort the children. And the lady from the Sovereign Grace Church kept reaching out to her and was just saying, listen, we will find funding for you, we will help you, we will find ways of adopting your children out. And so that's exactly what they did. They found funding for these so that the mum could be cared for medically. They found a mum and dad that wanted to adopt these three children. And all was going great until this young girl thought that she couldn't go through with it anymore. It would still be too hard. The pregnancy would be painful. And she had all three children 
disposed. You know, I don't say that to condemn you if you have had an abortion. Because that sin of abortion needs Jesus to cover it in the same way my sin needs Jesus to cover it. So if your history is one of having a child aborted, I don't say that to condemn you. Jesus Christ died for you so that your sin can be forgiven as past, as far as the east is from the west. Such is his grace and such is his mercy. But I do say that to you because I want you to realize that in all reality, this is the common thinking of our world. It is an extreme example to have three children aborted, and yet in reality, there are millions of children every year in our world being aborted, being disposed. Children that God is knitting together in their mother's womb. But it doesn't fit in with what the mum had planned. So she disposes of them. And the reason why I think it's so important for Christians to be aware of that is not only so that we can stand against that. I want us to be aware of it because in all reality, mums, it affects you more than you think. You may not go on to have abortions, but the worldview is so strong that children are disposable We'd be naive to not think that has any effect on our thinking. It does. And I think it does because it plays heavily into the second worldview. The worldview that children are a nuisance. And so we keep them. And they're born. But they're a bit of a pain. And so we just kind of put up with them. And the reality is so many people in the world structure their lives and run their lives on the basic idea that children are a nuisance. That children are in the way. That children are there. And they are stopping the dreams of parents going forward. That children just have to be put up with for a few years. And then hopefully as they get older they'll sort themselves out. And that the best day of your life will be when they leave. There's this preconceived idea that children, particularly young children, are just there to stop their mums enjoying life. They're like a curse around your legs. And if only you could get rid of them or palm them off, you'd be able to have life. Do you see how that's so prevalent in our world? It's so readily there. A worldview that is commonly accepted. And I think in all reality, it's a worldview that in differing degrees, we're all susceptible to. I certainly know I am. I mean, picture the scene. Have you ever been somewhere or gone into a place and and a mum and dad come in and they're closely followed by their nine children. And you, you go minimally in your heart, but sometimes out loud to your wife. Um, oh, poor things. Oh, that, oh, somebody needs to tell them how to stop doing that because <laughs> look at them. They're never going to have a life. You ever been tempted to feel that? People come in with the big kids. You're like, oh my gosh, let's pray for them. Let's just stop everything. Are you doing okay? Or maybe you've even been tempted at times to do it with your own children. You gather around a dinner table and you've put, put aside the fifth fight of the day. Lydia, stop jumping on Josh's head. This is not the appropriate moment. They're fighting. They're going crazy. And you manage to sit them down and settle them down. But in your mind, although you're, you're helping them and want to help them and train them for Jesus, what you're actually thinking is, Jesus, can we speed the time up? You know, have you ever been tempted to do that as mums? 
You ever been tempted to wish that you had some type of machine that could move time forward real quick? And so you sit there in the holidays, the holidays you've been looking forward to because it'll give you time with your kids. And then two days in you think, oh Lord, if there's any way, can it be the end of the holidays now? And then you have more holidays and you think, Jesus, and if there's any way, could I speed time up? But can we see college? Can we see the college years? And then it gets really bad and you think, okay, I'll find you. I'll find you a wife. Come on, I'll find you a wife. When we feel that, and we sense that, and we say that, behold the worldview then in us of thinking children are a nuisance. Because that's where that comes from. That's the way the world thinks. But it is not the way we are called to think. That screams of a worldview that says kids are in the way. that They need to be put up with for a while. But when they leave home, it'll all be good and we can get on with our lives. But that is not the way God sees them, is it? That is not God's view of our children. Look again. God views our children as a gift. A precious gift. An invaluable resource. A reward. A blessing. An inheritance. An inheritance. What a great word. I mean, I don't think there's anybody been ever lived who received a call from a top attorney to let this individual know that your great-great-uncle that you've never met has died and he has left you a massive inheritance. And for them to respond, oh no, oh this is just this is going to be so inconsiderate, it's going to be unhelpful, I mean I won't be able to go on with my life, but hopefully if I can just rush the inheritance through, I can then get on with it. That would be so odd. An inheritance is what the Lord defines our children as. And so ladies, I want to encourage you. You must then, by the grace of God, ensure that you have a biblical view of your children and not a worldly view of your children. You are susceptible to a worldly view because we live in a world. But you must, by the grace of God, work hard to gain a biblical view of your children. God's assessment, not your world's friend's assessment. And so here's some practical application for you. Just a couple of ideas that I want to encourage you in as to really how to keep a biblical view on children. Number one, locate and meditate on biblical texts like this one. Meditate on these types of verses. Build them into your hearts and your souls so that you can go through your life affected by the way God sees your children and that that's built into your lives as truths. Number two, buy and read Good gospel-centered books that inform a biblical view of motherhood. Buy them and then read them. You don't just buy them, okay? That's not impressive. You go to people's houses that, wow, you've got a great bookshelf. And you realize, they've still got like the labels on the outside. Yeah, that's not going to be helpful. So buy them and read them. Today, we've set up a corner in the bookshop dedicated to you mothers. There's just some books there on marriage and books on parenting that will help you. All the books on that table I've read. And so there would be books that I could say, you know what, genuinely, they will give you a good biblical worldview on parenting, on motherhood. Do that. Fan into flame. And husbands and family and friends of single mums, I want to encourage you. This is where we come in. We need to help these mums create time for that. We need to help our wives, husbands. 
and friends and family of single mums. We need to help them create time where God can minister to them with a biblical view of their children and not just a worldview of their children. And so husbands and friends and family of single mums, I want to encourage you, at least once or twice a year, let's try and free up these ladies for a full day. This is not biblical. This is just pastoral counsel, so you can take it or leave it. Okay? But I would encourage you, let's try and do two days a year where we can free up our wives to spend time with the Lord in creating that biblical view of motherhood. Get good books, get good meditation stuff. Spend time studying God's word when it comes to these topics. And for single mums church, we need to care for them. They are incredible. And if you are a single mum, you are my heroes in the faith, honestly. I look at what you do and you just see God's favour and grace and your commitment to the Lord all over it. And church, we want to be gathering around those folks then and help let, let, let us take your kids for a day so you can just spend time in the Word and spend time reading around these different things. Husbands, I encourage you, when you do this, if you do this twice a year, if you do this once a year for one day, you will have fresh appreciation for what your wife does for the other 365 days. Okay? I mean, this is the way it works. It is unbelievable. My wife goes away on a retreat at least once or twice a year. So we actually try and do the overnight thing. And usually she leaves about sort of dinner time the night before. By breakfast the next day, I'm, I'm in epiplexy. I'm panicking and Emma's phoning me to find out I'm getting on and I'm not getting on well. And you just, I cannot believe what Emma does every day. So husbands, use this as a tool for you as well to realize what they do. It's amazing. Third and final question then. What do you fear as a mother? What do you fear? Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 128, Psalm 128. It says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. You know, throughout this psalm and particularly these verses, there's a clear link between the blessing of God and the fear of God. So you get this idea, this tie between God's blessing, which is quite literally just ashes, so the premise being just happiness, joy, profound happiness, blessing, and the fear of God. It's, it's a really strong link all the way through this text, all the way through the Bible, but particularly in these verses. And yet, even though this is really important, I think so many people don't know what the fear of God is, right? So we get it. The fear of God brings blessing. Great. What's the fear of God? No idea. But I want to try and find out. Well, you can find out this morning, all right? The fear of God really isn't to do with quaking in your boots when anybody considers God. The fear of God isn't to stand by God the Father terrified. That would be strange. The fear of God is this. P.J. Smythe, I think, defines it really well. He says, The true fear of God is a childlike fear. It is a combination of holy respect and glowing love. To fear God is to have a heart that is sensitive, listen, to both his godness and his graciousness. It means to experience great awe and a great deep and a deep joy simultaneously when one begins to understand who God really is and what he has done for us. Therefore, the true fear of God is not a fear that makes a person run away and flee from God. It is a fear that drives them to God. That is brilliant. Blessing. 
knowing as a mum joy and happiness, the blessing of God equates with the fear of God. What is the fear of God? Well, the fear of God is a heart that is sensitive to God in his godness. It is understanding that God is majestic and massive and huge. It is understanding that as a mum, you are a grain of sand compared to the desert. You are a snowflake compared to a blizzard. As a mum, you could be wiped out in a moment by the maker of heaven and earth because he is massive. The one who spins the galaxies is the one that watches over you. And so the fear of God starts there. It understands God is massive. I am not. And it is understanding at the same time that God is gracious. That yes, you are a snowflake in the blizzard. But you're a snowflake that he made individually. And you're a lady that he sent his son to die for. And then having poured out the wrath of God on his son for your sin, he adopted you into his family. Where he can care for you, and sing over you, and love you. And where he can look forward to the day when he calls you home and you die and you go and be with him for all eternity. The fear of God then should not drive us away from God. It should drive us to God. As we understand he is massive and he loves me. That's what the fear of God is all about. And so mothers, what do you fear? What is it that you fear? See, maybe you're fearful of your children not liking you. And maybe even hating you. And so that affects everything you do. In discipline and training, it affects everything because you want to make sure they like you at the end of it. And that fear can drive decisions and can drive behavior towards our children. Maybe you're fearful of them getting ill or sick and you just being out of your depth and not knowing then how to cope and how would they cope and how would I cope as a mum. Maybe you're fearful of them growing up to rebel against you or to rebel against your faith. And so you don't want to put any parameters in their lives because, you know, if you put parameters in, they might rebel against the parameters. And so I won't do anything like that. And so the fear drives what we do and how we behave ourselves towards our children. Maybe you're fearful of getting a bad reputation. You ever felt that as a mum? They've just asked me a question, but I don't really want to answer and tell them the truth because they're going to think I'm really weird if I answer like that. You know, I think mums can be particularly susceptible to this. At the school gate, at the coffee mornings at church, whatever it is, there can be an essence that you're just so aware of. What are other people thinking about my parenting? What are other people thinking about the way I care for my kid? Would they perceive I don't care for my kids? And then when your kids get older, the mum can be concerned about curtailing their children because what will other people think about the children? Is there any reason why my child has to be the one beating everybody up? You know, what does everybody think about it? Maybe you're fearful of that, your reputation, and that affects your behavior then towards your kids. And maybe you're fearful of failure and not being able to cope. You know, mums, I think you're susceptible to many fears because mums, in my experience, are some of the most conscientious ladies I've ever met in my entire life. And you are actually bothered about getting strollers that are really safe. You know, us guys just think, it'll be all right, just put him on a bike. You know, we're just not as worried about these things. Ladies are looking at cars, they're looking at the side impact bags, and, you know, they're looking at diets. I'm just thinking, they can eat chocolate. I mean, they're three weeks old. But moms are there with all their different potions, all these different things, not eating certain things, not drinking certain things during pregnancy. And I'm just thinking, it'll be all right. 
Mums are some of the most conscientious people I've ever met in my entire life. But with that conscientiousness can come fears. Fears of not getting it right, not feeding them right, not doing something correct. Oh my gosh, if I feed them the puree wrong, they probably won't go with Jesus. I mean, it just gets crazy. Here's the thing. Here's what I want you to understand. The Bible does not call you to fear any of those things. The Bible calls you to trust in God, the one who's building the house, the one who's watching the city. But if you want to be blessed as a mum, you want to be a joyful mum, the Bible does call you to fear something. It calls you to fear the Lord, to fear the Lord in his godness, to know his majesty and his greatness, and to know his graciousness to you and your family and care for you as a mum and for the little ones that you serve. And then as an expression of that, the Bible calls you then to work hard to walk in his ways. Look again at verse 1. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. See, a mom who really fears the Lord, who really grasps who God is in his majesty and his splendor, who grasps that my children are a gift from him to steward for his glory, a mom who understands God is gracious to me and my children in a way that I can barely fathom, is a woman who will give herself to this word. You want to fear the Lord? You want to be blessed? Walk in His ways. You know, I remember when my wife had our three children, I remember being bombarded with emails of numerous magazines, numerous books, the best breastfeeding tips of 2010, and the best stroller of 2009, And the best school for your children that you need to get them signed up to before they're even born because they're going to need this education otherwise they're never going to get a house. And you're bombarded with all these books, all these things that you're taught as mums that you're going to need otherwise you're not going to be a very good mum. Do you see what the media does to you? It exploits your fears. So it gets you to buy all sorts of things that you didn't even know you needed, but now you need them. Your grandparents never had them, but now you need them because you won't be a good mum without these things. They're going to be absolutely necessary. Numerous magazines, numerous books. If you want to be a good mum, you want to be a blessed mum, you want to train your children the way they should go, you want to be a mum that goes around joyful, this is the book you need. Not your magazines. Not your be a great mum book. This book. The woman who is blessed as a mum fears the Lord. And walks in his ways. And so ladies, listen, your children are a gift from God. They haven't just arrived by accident. They're not a nuisance. They're not a pain. They're a gift. A reward, an inheritance. And God then is going to help you to raise those children. He is the one that ultimately will build the house. He is the one that is ultimately going to watch the city. And so I want to encourage you then, fear him and walk in his ways and you will be blessed. So happy Mother's Day. And I trust by the, as you apply this, that grace would abound to you all. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we do thank you once again for all of the mothers here present. Lord, how kind you are to supply so many mothers in our midst that we look to and can honour 
with ease because they're ladies we love and we respect. And so, Lord, would you minister to their hearts today through this word? Lord, would these words not just fall on ears and then go by the wayside, but would they be applied? Lord, you assure us that we are blessed not in the hearing. We are blessed in the doing. So, Lord, would these ladies then move forward in the fear of the Lord and walking in your ways, freshly mindful of the high and holy calling you've called them to. Our Lord, would grace abound to each and every one of them. In Jesus' name, amen.